Unique Ways with Thomas Gerard emerges with people from all walks of life who through their own unique angle succeed and flourish. Enjoy the ride and welcome to Unique Ways, an audio podcast. Hey, hey everyone. Welcome to Unique Ways with Thomas Gerard, an audio podcast. We've got a super awesome guest today. Um, He is coming to us from the UK, I believe. Uh, He's a former digital strategy director at Landor and Fitch. He possesses more than 18 years of experience across Asia, America, the UK, the Middle East, and the Far East. And he's currently an associate principal of UX and CX. Let's welcome Daniel Segal. Welcome, Daniel. Hi, Thomas, and thank you for having me. My pleasure. You ready for 20 questions? Uh, As good as I can be, yes. (laughs) Cool. Okay. Number one, tell me a little bit more about yourself. What is it that you do? Um, Okay. So it's a very good question, really. Um, You know, I think over the the, the time of what I've been doing, you know, people have asked me, what is it you do? Um, And I've said, oh, I've been, you know, I'm a UX designer. I'm a CX strategist. um, and, And everyone always scratches their head and goes, what is this? Um, so I kind of break it down, you know, depending on who I'm speaking to and say, I'm a graphic designer, uh, I'm an artist, I'm a strategist, I'm a researcher, um, I'm, an, I'm an observer. Um, but really what it is I do is I try to help either companies and people navigate um, within systems or around products to help them understand, you know, to improve on their business kind of processes or the strategic processes, their products, um, and try and simplify how to get from A to B. So whether or not that's looking at visual design, whether or not that's looking at um, customer journeys, user journeys, or, you know, specific areas of strategy for like value, value propositions, um, I tend to go in and do that um, for companies, um, predominantly, you know, over my kind of lifespan, um, I kind of started off more on the visual side. So it was really kind of visual design uh, around um, user interfaces. Um, but of course, over the, the years, um, it's kind of grown so that it's become more UX st- st- uh, strategy driven. It's become more CX driven. Um, you know, and leading teams and building teams and helping teams grow within into companies. You know, when I started in the UX realm, um, you know, this was a very new kind of era for many companies. And, you know, the maturity model and investment into UX and, and, and this kind of this kind of design thinking technology didn't really exist. So, you know, one of the big kind of things I did really was help to promote and drive you know, the understanding within companies of why it's important to hire UX designers, why it's important to hire researchers and strategists within the projects that they're dealing with. Nice, I like that. Yeah. Um, Just for the audience real quick, uh, Dan and I met uh, years ago in Beijing at Lenovo where we were both designers. I think we were the first two foreign designers in that department. we were Thomas yes it was very scary right back then um in a team of 150 people that was just you and I (laughs) brilliant yeah that was that was wild 
couldn't speak a word of Chinese and it was cold. I remember, I remember getting there actually and uh, I just come from Dubai, if I'm correct, and I think it was like 40 degrees plus from Dubai, and then I landed in Beijing, and it was minus 40 with the wind chill. So it was a real shocker to uh, to be there. <laughs> That's funny. Those are good memories. Um, number two, what's a key piece of knowledge that makes you different? Yeah, I found this question quite tough to kind kind of to answer really, um, because knowledge. I think you know knowledge comes in all shapes and sizes um and so what is it that i have that makes you know it makes a difference and i think you know going back kind of looking into you know kind of my history and where i came from you know i started off in school there was no computers um you know there were no like word processors were kind of only just kind of coming out to write your essays. But I think the biggest problem I had was I was dyslexic at school. And, you know, being dyslexic and having dyslexia, not only, you know, in written dyslexia, but also numerically dyslexic. You know, I, I faced quite a lot of problems with things like the calculator at the time, mathematics, um you know and just kind of really understanding you know especially when you're, you're you're stuck in a classroom and you have to read a book you know and being dyslexic you can end up adding words or taking words away or you know even kind of creating your own new sentences that didn't exist because of that hyper hyper kind of tensions or hyper kind of ideations that are going in, in on in your head as, when you have dyslexia um, and I think, you know, the key piece that makes makes the difference is when you start to kind of understand what that is and how do you kind of go forward in controlling and measuring and, you know, really taking the time to understand what it is you're doing. And, you know, when I had to do, you know, my GCSEs and A-levels, I had to take a lot more time. I had to read things over and over and over again and ask myself, do I understand this? Does this make sense? You know, and I think that trait has gone with me, you know, pretty much even to this day through my life where, you know, I look at things differently. Uh, I, I look at things and question them differently. You know, does this make sense? Is this really what is being said to me? Is this really what is asked from me? Um, and I think that knowledge of, you know, taking something like dyslexia, which, you know, back in the day, a lot of people frowned on it and called you dunce or, you know, um, put you in the back of the class, you know, to, because they didn't understand what that is, you know, to now, you know, you're at the forefront of design and you're designing great customer experiences, great user experiences within the products, um, within interfaces. I think the dyslexia part and understanding that knowledge of what it really meant to have it and how to utilize it in a positive manner, um, kind of really kind of brought that difference um, to me uh, personally going forward and there's a lot of people out there you know that have that same frustration and think what can I do you know can I be an architect because I have you know numerically dyslexia maths um, and knowing that is a positive as opposed to a negative uh, is a key piece um, of knowledge to take forward um, and you know use use uh, as a weapon to actually go forth you know and, and excel in what it is you want to do. That's great. I mean, I think that's going to be super um, motivating for some of our listeners, for sure. And definitely, um, definitely hearing you be vulnerable is uh, is much appreciated. I mean, that's a that's a part of what 
um, gets people really engaged in in listening to uh, to 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 you. So great, thank you. Yeah, I mean, just on that, I mean, it's don't get me wrong, you know, having that has, you know, especially in this day and age, you know, you are forced, especially in the bigger corporate companies, you are forced to do a lot more presentations and PowerPoints. And, you know, obviously with digital these days, you know, you can get away with not using the words and you can use your own self expressions um, and, and your own voice to get things across. But, you know, having to kind of conquer that saying well you know in a lot of the corporate companies where you do have to do a lot of powerpoint presentations knowing how to to deal with that and how to structure them in a way you know that takes dyslexia but yet still engages the audience uh, in a very compelling way um, is a very powerful tool to learn um, you know especially in ux when you're trying to get to get across your strategy or your value proposition and, and trying to ensure that you know you get the buy-in from the c-suite that's really, um, again, that's really inspiring. You know, I think towards the end of the episode, when you uh, share out your um, your uh, your ways of uh, of contacting you, I think I think some people are definitely going to want to do that and 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 um, broaden this conversation. But that's a it's a great topic. For sure. Um, yeah. Number three. So why this of all things? Why do you do what you do? Um, it's a, that's again, I think, you know, these three, first three questions are probably the hardest ones. Um, I have to be honest with you, Thomas. Um, I don't think um, this is why I did what I did. I mean, again, I think because of, again, talking about the dyslexia, I was always driven to the visual. Um, and I always seem to have a connection with expressing myself through illustration, you know, using my hands, you know, um, kind of like almost like what the Italians do when they talk, you know, they use the hands for gesturing and, and help and aid through conversation. Um, and then, of course, I did, you know, my actual degree was in fine art sculpture. And I found, you know, at the time, obviously, like I said, there was no computers, there was no Macs, not like for 83, I think it was. Um, you know, but I found that there was when UX came in, I found that there was a big kind of connection um, within the visual side, you know, typography, logo design with sculpture. And when you look at sculpture, you know, and you look at, you know, public sculpture and how those kind of like Henry Moore pieces of sculpture sit in a park and have this presence and yet attract, you know, people to come and play and touch and kind of get tactile with this piece of sculpture compared to what it's like when the piece of sculpture is in a gallery, you know, but yet it has this presence again, you take a Giacometti and you put it into, you know, the, uh, the Whitworth Art Gallery, for example, in a white room, it becomes something very different. And again, then you have other kind of things such as like Rodan and the Kiss and how close the two objects need to be next to each other so that there's tension between the two, but yet they're harmonizing. And I found that as I was progressing and digital started to kind of grow and the use of mobile phones and technology, I found there was a very big kind of connection between sculpture, uh, presence and touch and interaction which led very nicely into kind of user interaction, you know, and a good example of that, I think, you know, was the very first kind of unlock screen from Apple, where it had this beautiful slide bar that kind of went halfway, but if you didn't go over it, then kind of like bounced back. Um, and I just think found those kind of things very similar to what you would be playing around with when you were at university doing the sculpture, 
Um, and, and that kind of helped me to go forward and say, this conquers everything, you know, it conquered everything to do with how, you know, um, people interact with your work, how people look at your work, um, you know, how they share, how they, how they interact, how they touch. And I just found that, that it literally was kind of a, just a natural progression to go from, you know, like I say, from what I did at university um you know all the way through to getting into ux um and you know and bearing in mind that you know ux didn't exist when i was at college this was something i had to pick up and learn myself uh, i didn't go to university and learn computer design i didn't go to to uh, university and learn uh, ux design because it just didn't exist so it was a natural progression from what i would say you know um from sculpture I can really relate to that. I went through foundation like first year in art school where we do a kind of uh, uh, dabble in all the different kind of artistic uh, uh, methods. And I remember spending a lot of time in the plaster room, which was completely covered with plasters, like completely white covered with plaster. And you know, you're inhaling plaster right. in that room. I was, I spent a long time in that room uh, trying to get things right. Yeah, no um, health and safety then was there <laughs> wearing no. the masks. <laughs> That's right. Um, um, okay, number four. So, what does your future look like? Um, wow. Okay. Again, you know, if I had a crystal ball, uh, I would, I would kind of know. But um, I honestly, I, I don't know. Um, you know, currently, I've moved back to the UK um, after being away for so long. I've been, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I've been in. You know, the Middle East, I've been in Sri Lanka, I've been in Beijing, I've been in America, I've been in Canada, uh, Hong Kong, um, and now I'm back in the UK. And did I, would I, and I've only been back in the UK three weeks. Um, did I think I'd be here? Um, no, I didn't. So where will I be in the future? I really don't know, Thomas. Um, I hope that I'm still doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, I would like to move it forward for sure. You know, I'd like to go into, you know, kind of new areas and kind of look at new techniques and new strategies, especially with the way I think COVID has hit. Um, you know, people are staying at home a lot more. They're dining at home a lot more. I think, you know, the building, especially in the UK, you see a lot of people building extensions to their homes because they realize how important their homes are um, and their gardens. You know, and I kind of have, I've always kind of been hands-on, um, like I mentioned, and I, and I think maybe the future has something to do more with home, um, to help people in homes, to help people get around and not be isolated from others. Um, and yet, you know, and at the same time, have a, feel, have a sense of something new to them uh, or something that has, you know, grown from, it's not just my home, it's, it's an area of tranquility. Uh, and how can digital or UX, CX kind of help people understand or, or get to that? Um, but I don't know where I'll be in the future and I don't know where I'll be or what I'll be doing within the realms of UX in the future. I just feel that, like I say, I think it might be something more home-based um, we need to be looking at. I remember at Lenovo for part of my job, I was working on future focused products and you know as designers i wonder if we are um, more well equipped to look at the future um, because of because of projects like that 
Um, but yeah, definitely it's a hard one to answer. Um, you know, are we going to be on Mars or not? I wonder. It, it's, um, it's difficult. I don't think, I think even with the amount of research you do, you know, you can look at where you can try to project where, where, you know, corporate companies are going to be, where automotives are going to be, you know, but again, did we think someone was going to be on the moon, you know, Richard Branson, you know, and he's now going to do, you know, public flights to the moon. It, it's so hard to kind of predict where the future is going to go. Mm. Um, it was, hasn't taken long really has it since the, you know, Nintendo 64 came out and or the Commodore 64. And now, you know, look where we're at. We're at PlayStation 5 and VR and, you know, Microsoft Mesh and so forth. So it's a very hard predict to try and really predict where we're going to be going forward and, and how we're going to communicate and do business. I always get a kick out of the tech companies releasing their new logos. And I look at the shape of it and I'm like, I saw that in a book somewhere, you know, like when I was studying design, you know, that's, that's straight out of uh, history, you know, yeah. so often the future kind of um, jumps on that in a way. Well, I, I think, you know, again, I think if you look at a lot, lot of the Chinese market and um, without getting political, of course, um, but, you know, sometimes some of the best things are things that are already around us. Um, and it's a case of finding something that works really well. And then making those adjustments, it's not about recreating the wheel, it's about how do I improve the wheel? You know, how do I, you know, get more traction? And, and I think, you know, China does this very well. Um, you know, some people I'm sure will disagree with me, but at the same time, they're taking things that, you know, do work, but they are making it better. So sometimes simplicity, uh, adding that certain simple function uh, can, you know, can change a product uh, overnight and make it sensational just by that one piece of um, extra bolt-on, should we say. Not to kind of overburden this topic, but I remember at Lenovo working on some drag and drop functions for mobile phones. And, you know, those kinds of functions just didn't exist yet. And, you know, we were trying to implement them in part, you know, copying, but in part um, being inspired by, uh, by the possibilities, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, I think Lenovo was a great. Lenovo is a great example for sure. Yeah. Um, so number five, let's talk about location. How does the notion of place play into what you do? Sorry, Thomas. Oh. Hello, hello. Hello. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, sorry, Thomas. I'm still here. Okay, great. So number five is uh, let's talk about location. How does the notion of place play into what you do? I think place is really important. Um, and I think in some of your earlier podcasts, you know, there was a few guys also talked about this. Um, the way I look at place, there's, I think there's two aspects to it, really. Place uh, in a work, um, in a work situation. And there's place for, you know, well-being and being, you know, by yourself and, and so forth. So I think... When I think of where I've traveled, you know, uh, I remember being in Sri Lanka a long time ago and there was a department store called Adele's and they offered me a job. I was on holiday actually there, um, but they knew I was around and they said, well, can I come in? It was Christmas time and help the guys and help them understand, you know, what a Christmas catalog should be. You know, because they, they weren't aware of like the Christmas tree and the baubles and the glitter. So their Christmas catalog didn't look very festive. No. Um, so I think place, it's really important because not only do you 
can you teach uh, people in places about, you know, your type of culture, you know, where you've come from, what you do, you know, and the level of, um, should we say, execution and design should be. But at the same time, they also teach you. They teach you about their communities. They teach you, you know, how to listen. They teach you how to be aware and understand, you know, and they also teach you a lot about cultural uh, differences. Um, you know, again, you can take the Middle East as a good example. We had one colleague uh, a while back uh, and it was Valentine's Day. And um, so again, one of the hotels was promoting Valentine's Day, you know, it was like buy one and get one free. And the photographer came in to take all the photos. And of course, what some of the photos that he took, um, you know, there was bottles of champagne on the table. And of course, there was, um, you know, there was a couple across the table being quite tactile. Um, now, in the Western world, this would be absolutely fine. But of course, in the Middle East, you know, alcohol theoretically is illegal, um, you know, in that situation. And certainly that type of form of affection, um, if you're not married, definitely shouldn't be on the front cover of any hotel. So again, knowing these culture transitions and what is acceptable in, in the cases of design um, is really important. Um, and then, you know, again, going into like China, you know, how they, they write the typography, which you're very aware of, you know, where we write something, you know, like close, you know, or tap to close on, a, on an interface, you know, it fits very nicely into that kind of, you know, um, design. While as it might only be two letters um, in China, and therefore the whole design completely kind of doesn't work. It, you know, the, the whole thing no longer has this beautiful composition. So place, I think, is um, a really kind of interesting thing for any designer, you know, to go out and explore. Um, and then when I talk about place kind of, you know, as an individual, I think, you know, in this dynamic world, you know, in this whole sense of well-being, you know, the anxiety, um, you know, I've suffered, I used to suffer from anxiety, you know, and the pressures of trying to get the work out on time or to, you know, because you've got to meet a product deadline or because your client is constantly asking, asking, asking for updates, you know, you need to also find a place and that might not necessarily be a place on earth that might be somewhere that only you go to, you know, sitting, reading a book um, and just drifting off to. So I think, you know, the place has has a big important has an important role to play um not only like i say on how you deal with culture and and, and cultural differences but also how you kind of get through the day um in one piece so it, it's one of the most important parts for me uh, and i love it i love travel and i love traveling in my own mind hence why i ran across the desert <laughs> just to get into my own special place <laughs> I like that response a lot. In 2019, I gave a TEDx talk about airports and in a way about airports as places. And it's super interesting for me to, to hear your views about um, the culture and place. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great thought that Tom Thomas. It was really good. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Number six, um, if you had to start from the beginning, what advice would you give your former younger self? I would probably tell myself not to think I was stupid um, because of the dyslexia. It played a real big impact on me that Thomas, you know, um, to the point where, don't get me wrong, I was adventurous, you know, and I got into what I got, what got into, 
Um, but, you know, I, at one point I wanted to be an architect, but then, you know, I was told I was too stupid. I was sitting at the back of the class. Uh, I got into a lot of trouble. Um, and and it, it was because I didn't believe in myself. And I think that would be the one thing, you know, I would probably go back to and say, you know, you can do this, believe in yourself. You're not stupid. You know, this is something that a lot of people have. Don't be alone. Don't be afraid. Speak up. And I think that would be the one advice I would I would go and seek more help for something that I knew was was frustrating uh, and I couldn't deal with alone. It's interesting, you know, your career is, is so successful in so many ways. And, you know, to hear of your difficult beginnings and to see where you've gotten to now is, uh, you know, really makes makes you wonder, um, you know, um, could there have been more? Should there have been more? I mean, you 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 you've succeeded in 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 kind of every kind of metric. So, you know how uh, how do, how how would that work? How would that um, have changed things? It, yeah, I mean, who knows? Um, and this is why I've, these questions have been quite difficult. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, then who knows? Maybe UX wouldn't have existed. <laughs> you know, we just don't know. So, and it is what it is. <laughs> Great. Okay. Seven. What's a day in your life like? Okay. Uh, day in my life. So, wow. Depending on where I am and where I've been. So if I was still in Hong Kong, day in my life would be kind of getting up in the morning, you know, uh, walking my dogs, kind of getting myself together, kind of, kind of reiterating in my mind, what do I have on today? Kind of what meetings do I have on, you know, what needs to be done? Um, what needs to be kind of checked upon um, and then just going to kind of go forth and do the mundane office job, I suppose. But then at the same time, you never know what's going to happen when you get into the office. So that it, it could end up being a workshop. It could end up being, you know, a three hour long meeting just to try and explain something. Um, so it, it was never kind of that predictable, uh, but you kind of had a framework of what your how your day was structured, especially on on a on a level where you've got a team of people that are that are underneath you. Pretty much after work, um, yeah, that would be going to somewhere like the pub, um, you know, go and get a drink, go and chill out, get the frustrations off, um, talk about the day, um, you know, and then yeah, go back out for a walk with the dogs again. Um, you know, and just clear the mind and kind of get ready for the next day. Um, so Hong Kong was a little bit conveyor belt like, if, if like that. While as you know, I don't know, I'm not promoting Ch uh, China, um, Beijing was very different. You never really knew what was happening half the time. You know, if the meeting was going to be in English, was the meeting going to be in, in Putonghua? Um, so it, everything just kind of became dynamic. But usually, you know, when you're working for the corporate um, levels um, and at those certain levels, you know, you would have your calendar booked in. You'd pretty much know what your meetings were going to be um, and what you needed to do. So pretty much uh, it, that would be like my normal day, really, just kind of, I suppose, you know, stuck or a slave to the calendar, um, which I didn't necessarily really enjoy. Um, hence why I'm now back in the UK um, and looking for that kind of change um, where I think COVID has hopefully brought some of that in with this new hybrid way of working and, and digital has done that as well. So yes you will still have meetings but i'm hoping that there'll be more diverse it'll be more di there'll be more diversity and it's not as mundane you know as kind of just preparing a powerpoint presentation for the next meeting 
I like your answer a lot. You know, it reminds me of, of Lenovo in Beijing, you know, kind of getting thrown into a meeting and doing some work and not really knowing if it was working or not. And then kind of going into presentations and doing a presentation and not really knowing if it landed well or not. You know, right. I guess that kind of ambiguity is part of everybody's day. Um, but I, I especially know what that's like. Yeah, uh, and and I, I think that's for probably, and I hope I'm fair to say this. I think you know, in, in the Far East, there's a lot more of that kind of level of work, um, especially with the older companies, mm -hmm. the more legacy legacy based companies. Mm -hmm. While as you know, at the same time, you've got a lot of the new dynamic companies like Landor and Fitch that you mentioned mm -hmm. uh, that aren't like that. There are there there is a lot more going on, a lot more di um, kind of I don't know what the word is, but um, Kind of pivoting on the spot a lot more kind of design thinking and you know experimental kind of days mm. sure you know there's always that that's you know that director level that has that day planned out but certainly for the designers um you know one minute they could be working on this project the next thing they could be working on something completely different that would help you know upgrade their skills mm -hmm. Great. Okay. Number eight is uh, lifelong learning is a popular topic how do you stay up to date Wow. Okay. So uh, I think I think a lot of that really is down to, you know, I used to hire people at work. Um, and a lot of that was also about how I learned. You know, I'm a big believer that, you know, that I don't know everything. It's, it's you know, no one, no, no one can. So for me, you know, especially when hiring people, um, it's always good to have someone who, who brings something to the table that you definitely don't have. Uh, maybe it's a skill, you know, again, that I've managed to find in people through looking at their CVs or their portfolios. Um, so, you know, I would take a risk on hiring someone that doesn't do what I do um, or is weaker than what I do, or they come from a different kind of background to maybe somebody else just to bring that, you know, that that extra edge to, you know, all that all that kind of outward thinking knowledge um, and experimentation into the work. So that's kind of one way hiring, like I say, hiring somebody or, or you know, who's just out there, who's an out of the box thinker. Um, of course, there's also all the other channels, you know, you know, you, you read the magazines, the TED, the TED deck stuff, um, you read the Twitters, you know, but I'm also a real, I'm, I'm a big gamer. I love, I love playing games. Um, you know, I used to love playing on World of Warcraft and, you know, I play on the, on the VR, um, and, and, I, and I believe, you know, gaming industry brings a lot of great design and a lot of cutting edge technology uh, into play. So, you know, kind of keeping up on, onto the latest games and the latest kind of technology that's being used to render those visuals and how those visuals are made, bringing in the physics engines into, you know, how the cloak sways in, in, the, in the breeze, even though there is no breeze in your TV. I just believe that that is another great way of keeping up. So apart from the everyday ways, I think it's really people um, and, and gaming for me um, that kind of keeps me up to date with what's going on because it's just at the forefront. Great. Um, just about halfway here. So number nine, tools. Are you more digital? Do you incorporate any analog? Are you a bit of both? Yeah, so I'm everything, you know, um, I don't believe one tool has the answer to everything, you know, um, because you just don't know what you need. Um, you know, you look at research, for example, there is nothing better than shadowing someone. And if you're shadowing someone for the day, 
you know, you're not, it's not so simple to pull out your iPad and start writing notes. You know, you might do it visually. So you might end up taking photographs, no problem. You know, well, as if you're in a white room and you're doing, you know, brainstorming, certainly writing analog on a whiteboard, getting the ideas down um, is so much quicker and easier, certainly for myself um, to do that. So, yeah, I, I'll use a bit of everything, really. Anything that I, that I feel is appropriate for that situation and, and where I'm at. Um, you know, weather can be a big play, the office where you're at. Um, you might not have a whiteboard. So in other words, you know, pen and paper, by all means, do that. Um, again, you know, you're in a meeting. So I'm, like I say, I was dyslexic. So, you know, and I still am, you know. Um, so sometimes I use, I record. I record meetings, I record things that are going on so that I can then play them back and listen to them and so forth. So I, I recommend, you know, everybody should, you know, have an arsenal of, um, you know, of, of digital and tools, you know, use the tools that help you do the job. It's it's simple as that. Nice. I'm excited for this next question and for your particular answer on it because uh, because of Hong Kong and how uh, Hong Kong fits into this. But the question is, how do you deal with a work-life balance? Yeah, so that became quite difficult. I've got to be honest, you know, Hong Kong, you know, because the, the, how you live in Hong Kong, you know, the houses are very small. There's a lot of people crammed in, you know. So, you know, and, and of course, you know, financially, you know, yes, it's a very wealthy country, but a lot of people don't necessarily, you know, um, earn millions. Um, so, and, and they live, you know, they live with their grandmas, they live with their granddads, they live with their mom, their dads, the, and their brothers and sisters. So for them, you know, uh, you know, being in Hong Kong, sometimes being in the office is that life, work-life balance. It doesn't really exist because in, in the office, they, they get the computers, we've got the air conditioning rooms, you know, we, we, you get a meal, you know, you can get a takeaway. So really it's more, the office becomes more like an extension of their home. So, you know, there's that work-life balance, but then of course, so that really life and work become the same. Um, but of course there's always that, how do I turn my computer off? Um, and that really is, you know, again, with the Hong Kong spirits, the hiking, you know, and just really kind of getting into that special place, whether or not you're going hiking, you're going stand up paddle boarding, uh, or whether or not you're going shopping, um, you know, it, it, it's really important that, that you do turn it off. And again, you know, in Hong Kong and many countries, you know, especially China, it's important to be around family and it's important to turn that computer off and get back to kind of, you know, being around people and interacting with people and not just digital. Um, and, and I think, you know, and, and shutting down, if you don't, you know, the battery goes, the battery drains very quickly in these kind of fast dynamic paced um, countries. You know, you've been, I've seen your social posts, you've been running across the desert. Does that kind of, do you want to talk about that? Does that tie into work-life balance at all? It did. Um, so I was very, <laughs> I, I mean, Everyone thought I was mad and I probably am mad, to be honest. So I ran the Marathon de Sable in 2018, which is a self-supported race. You carry your own food. The water is rationed. It's through the Sahara Desert. In fact, it's classed as the, the toughest foot race on the planet. Um, and, it, and it's 250 kilometers. Um, and I just needed to get away. Yeah, um, I kind of, I was very happy with where I was working. But at the same time, the idea, you know, that I could, 
you know, you, you couldn't, I couldn't take anything digital with me because there was, you have to consider the weight on day one. Um, and if you've got a 10 kg backpack, there is no internet out there. There are no mobile phones. It's literally you and the desert. Um, and you have to run 50 kilometers pretty much, well, 30 kilometers, then 50 kilometers. And then on the long stage, it's 100 kilometers and you have to cook and so forth and so on. So for me, it was a real kind of great way to kind of just take a step back from where I was from, you know, being so engaged in, in the digital world um, and, and, and corporate businesses and, and, you know, kind of forgetting about who I was and what I wanted and, you know, what is it that drives me forward? And, and it, it changed my life, to be honest. Um, it made me come back and question how much time do I want to spend digitally? Um, you know, so from there, you know, I realized I enjoyed spending more time listening to people and kind of listening to myself and understanding myself to go back and change my persona and my behavior within the actual um, working environment. Nice. Um, number 11, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? I'd probably be a gardener. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to think I'd be a gardener. You know, maybe I'd be a sculptor. Um, you know, I was very, like I say, I was always very hands-on in design and, and fine art. So I'd like to think that, yeah, maybe I, I could have been a landscape designer. Um, something I'm very passionate about now. And I think I mentioned it earlier, something... I believe, you know, everybody's entitled to have that, that beautiful sweet spot in their homes. So probably a landscape, a landscape designer. Nice. Um, number 12, so you were talking about, uh, about kind of doing a bit of everything, but what would you not like to do, like specifically career-wise? Mm, what would I not like to do? Mm. So I've got to be honest in this one, Thomas, I don't think there's anything I wouldn't like to do mm. because... I believe that how can I possibly say I wouldn't like to do it if I haven't done it? Mm. Um, you know, and, and I think it's really important that, you know, you put yourself as Gandhi says, you know, don't judge someone until you've walked in a mile in their shoes, mm. you know? And so I, I'm a big believer that have a go at anything, you know, it might not be for you. It might not be suited for you. Um, but I cannot say that I wouldn't want to do it. Um, you know, I, 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 like I say, I mean, I might enjoy um, the, the, the jobs that I've never done before uh, because it maybe gives me that sense of freedom. Um, but if I haven't done it, how would I know? I so, guess, you no. Know, yeah, with the current climate yeah. and the idea of imposter syndrome and, and how that's kind of okay, I guess I guess the, uh, the common way is to, to just embrace everything, isn't it? I think so. Um, and, and certainly for a UX designer or, you know, a, a customer experience um, strategist, you kind of need to know what everyone does. So therefore, you should be kind of having a go at what they do, because if, if you don't, how can you design for it? Mm -hmm. 13, what's your favorite word, quote or sentence? Uh, I would say go forth and conquer. I just, you know, I just think it's, you know, I just think it's a very powerful phrase um, to go forth and conquer. You know, I find it a very positive um, word, a sentence, phrase. Least favorite word, quote, or sentence? My least is, uh, I'll do it later. Um, <laughs> I, I don't like the word later. Um, I, when I say I don't like it, I, it's because I don't understand what the word later means. Is it 
now? Is it in five minutes? Is it in 10 minutes? Is it next year? When is later? Mm -hmm. um, so when someone says to me, I'll do it later, it's not a positive kind of, um, it's not a positive response to a question. If you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would you choose? Oh gosh, uh, I could, there's, there's so many. Um, I, I'm going to just say adventurous nice. on this one. <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Luckily, not much, except my dog's barking um, when a squirrel runs past the window. Not much. Um, I like to think that when I go into bed, you know, I can do the breathing techniques and I can kind of say, yeah, I know what I have to do tomorrow. I know where I'm at. Um, and therefore, you know, without this eight hours sleep, um, I'm not going to, you know, be able to, to perform the next day as well as I'd like. So, you know, I really try to make sure I go to bed with a clear mind, um, knowing that everything I've done uh, today is the best I can do um, to give me a good start for tomorrow. What's a dream you're chasing? Dream I'm chasing. Um, I think I'm just chasing to be me, um, to learn more about myself. Um, you know, kind of, kind of figuring out where do I like, like you mentioned in the in the question, where do I see myself in the future? You know, what is that dream? Where do I want to be? And you know, I still don't know that answer. So, you know, I wouldn't say I'm chasing it. I'd say I'm kind of learning it every day. So, yeah, I'm not not really chasing any dream. That's a good response. I haven't heard people kind of focus inwardly like that for a while. So it's good. Um, final stretch here, number 18, what inspires you? People. People inspire me. All types of people. I love, you know, I love speaking to so many people about their lives, what they're doing, how they interact with things, where they've been, where they've gone, what they've learned, uh, how they grow up, grown up, what their job's about. Mm. Um, I find, you know, for me, people is the most inspiring listening to people you know, understanding people and, and yeah, just people really inspire me the most. 19, advice you'd like to share? Um, don't be afraid, you know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to try something. You know, um, I think Yoda once said, do or do not, there is no try. I'm not quite sure about that because you should do it. You should not do it, but it's always go and try something. You never know unless you try it. So um, yeah, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to chase, you know, to chase what you're after. Um, and like I say, don't be afraid to ask for help if you need it. And uh, I think you kind of built up this question a lot. I think we're probably all anticipating this, but how can our listeners keep tabs on you? How can we find you? How can we see what you're doing? <laughs> So I thought about this and uh, and then I cast myself, I thought, my gosh, you know, I don't don't really use Instagram. Um, so but yeah, I mean, the, the normal channels. So you've got all the Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, but predominantly, yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, reach out to me on Twitter, um, you know, and if you're in the UK, invite me to the pub. I'll come to the pub and have a nice cold beer with you or, you know, a nice coffee or whatever, you know, we're going to grab lunch. Uh, but that's really the best way. Uh, as much as I do use digital channels, I'd rather meet people face to face. Uh, if you're in the area or you'd like to invite me to, you know, I'd be more than happy to have a Zoom call with you. But I'd rather have conversation um, than just post um, just then post irrelevant tweets for the sake of it. 
Okay, well, thank you so much, Daniel. I mean, it's you, so so great to you know hear about your desert running and uh, living around the world and and your your um, your huge wealth of knowledge in UX. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, what else can I say? That's it. Thank you. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you for inviting me on the show. My pleasure. If you like today's podcast, I encourage you to have a listen to other episodes. You can easily find them at uniqueways.ca or wherever you find podcasts. You can also find us on social media. And thank you. It's you that makes these great, and it's you who these are for. Stay tuned for more Unique Ways. Thank you.